You are listening to Fellowship Around the Table. Welcome again to the weekly chat. I'm your host this week, Heath Casey. And once again in the studio, I have Scott Johnson. And Scott, we finally made it. We have. We've been teasing about Mrs. Job, and the audience has been waiting and waiting, and this is the week. I'm ready. You're ready? Yeah. So, take it away, so, Mrs. Job. Mrs. Job. I call her Mrs. Job because she's a real person to me. So, we don't know her name, yep. right? And basically, if anybody knows anything about Mrs. Job, typically what they know is her infamous statement, curse God and die, which she says to her husband in the time of his most significant calamity, right? He's, yeah. I mean, things are just terrible. And she says to him, curse God and die. And that's what everybody remembers. And so from that, we've judged her guilty. And I was in exactly the same spot for a long time. Everything I've read or been taught, guilty. Worst wife ever. Yes. Right? Worst wife ever. Absolutely. So I, when I was teaching this class for the first time in 2013, I came into it with that impression. And... When she says, curse God and die, Job responds to her with a statement, and he says, now you're speaking as one of the foolish women. Right. And the commentaries focus on that word foolish Foolish. and how strong it is. It's a very insulting word. And so when I was teaching that, I said, so what do you think of Job's wife? And a woman in the class looked at that, and she said, well, she wasn't foolish. And I said, Mm. huh. And that started me off on thinking, maybe I don't have this right. And so I'm going to go through, uh, like I said, people people think they know one thing about her, which is curse God and die. Right. I'm up to 12 things that we know about her, or we could reasonably infer from the book. From curse God and die. No, from the whole book. Yep. Yes, but curse God and die is one of them. Right. So let me start with number one. Okay. Okay, so Heath, if I, I don't want to put you on the spot, but what, what was her name? It's not given, right? We don't know. We don't know. We don't okay. know. So I call her Mrs. Joe. Okay. Now, but that's, but that's significant because we've already talked about the fact that Job was God's number one man. So point number one is God's number one man married this woman. Okay. Okay, so I, I think that's significant. We, we don't know if they had an arranged marriage that he followed through with, or if they winked at each other from across the classroom, <laughs> went to Starbucks, went out for a steak, and then got married. We don't know what happened, but look, God's number one man married this woman. Yeah, She surely can't be, as I imagined her for a long time, sort of like the Wicked Witch of the West. Mm. So that's number one. God's number one man married this woman. Point number two, I always like to explain this to a class by saying again, what was her name? Yeah, we don't know. The best we're going to go with is Mrs. Job. Mrs. Job. What that means is she, okay, so point number one is looking at it through Job's eyes. He married this woman. Point number two is this woman was married to God's number one man. Mm. Now, you and I, neither one of us are women, and I think we've <laughs> lived right. long enough to know that we have no idea how women think. Right? Agreed. We're gonna, we could spend the rest of our lives trying to figure it out, and we're not going to be any closer. <laughs> but- If you think about a woman who is intimate with a man, that woman knows that man. Mm -hmm. She can't really not fundamentally know him. If they're spending basically 
all day, every day together, some days, and they're talking about everything that a married couple talks about, and they're intimate with each other emotionally, physically, mentally, she knows the man. Hmm. And so I would submit to you that this woman knew her husband, Hmm. and she didn't know he was God's number one man because he didn't know that. Nobody knew that. All right, we know that because the author tells us about that cosmic discussion. Right. So she didn't know that, but she had to know that she had a really, really fantastic husband. Mm. She she couldn't not know that. I think to imagine that she didn't know that is a little on the ridiculous side. Yeah. So I don't think it's a stretch to say she knew she had a really good guy. Yeah. Now, in chapter one, it tells us that they had seven boys and three girls. Right? These are the kids that would get together and party, and they were all killed together in that one accident. Yeah. But what does that tell us about Mrs. Job? She had 10 kids. Right. We don't have to go too far. I think everyone <laughs> understands how that happens, probably. But look, they were close. I mean, they were physically close. Right. They were intimate on at least somewhat of a regular basis. Okay, so these two people, God's number one man and this woman, were intimately close. So that's point number three. So I'm, I don't want to step on any of your points here, but yeah, go ahead. that it's making sense to me, especially in the context you're using number one man, but I'm hearing God say he was blameless, um, upright. That's right. And we know what God thinks of marriage. Mm-hmm. And that means that marriage was blameless and upright. Because she's sanctified through him. That's right. And on top of that, I mean, mm. again, he he chose her. Uh, we don't, Again, we don't know how that marriage got set up, but he followed through with it, or he chose her, or he, he pursued her, one or the other of those. Mm-hmm. And then she couldn't not know that she had a really, really great guy. Mm. It's, it's, not, it's not credible to imagine that she didn't know that. Right. So point number three, they had the 10 kids, super intimate. Points four and five have to do with her infamous statement. Mm-hmm. So what, what everybody remembers is what? Curse God and die. Curse God and die. Why but, don't you curse but, God and die? That's right. But here's the interesting thing. She actually With the said, finger pointing at yes, him. and the, how I always imagined it. The Wicked right, Witch of the, the West, the bony finger. Can't even, you can't even straighten it out. Right. It's always curved, can't right? straighten the finger. I can see it. That's right. And don't forget, her skin's green. That's right. Right? Yeah. You know, we have to have the whole yeah. picture. Yeah. But she actually said two sentences. Mm. People only remember curse God and die. Okay. The first sentence was, do you still maintain your integrity? Now, these two sentences together form my points four and five, but I'm going to suggest that we move on to point six because those two take a much longer time to unfold. I'll allow it. Thank you. Thank you, Your Honor. (laughs) (laughs) I'd like to petition the court. Okay. Sustained. (laughs) Excellent. Thank you. Is that right? (laughs) Thank you, Your Honor. I appreciate it. So point number six which is what happens when she says to her husband, curse God and die. His response is, now you're speaking as one of the foolish women. Hmm. Should we accept good from God and not bad? Now, again, the commentators really drill into that word foolish. Apparently, it's very strong. It's very insulting. And... Like profane, like hinted at it being profane? I don't know. Okay. That's a great question. But strong. And I, I don't know. Strong. Yeah. Very strong. Very insulting. Well, again, the woman in my class all those years ago pointed out that, in fact, he does not call her foolish. 
He says, you're speaking as one of the foolish women. In essence, now here's here's what I love about this, Heath. Does he have any idea we're going to be talking about him three or 4,000 years later? No. Not a chance. (laughs) Right? Not a chance. But he's telling us she's not foolish Hmm. because he doesn't say you're foolish. He says you're speaking as one of the foolish women. Hmm. In essence, he's saying to her, that's not like you to say something like that. So he's not calling her foolish at all. In fact, without realizing it, he's telling us thousands of years later that his wife is not foolish. And that's very clear from this text. Yeah, now it is. It is. That's right. That's right. Now it is. That's right. That's right. So that's my point number six. My point number seven is this thing that we laughed about a few episodes ago, and it cracks me up, which is to top – like all of Job's physical – afflictions, the boils, the bone-deep pain, the blackened, scab-ridden, festering, worm-infested skin, the emaciation, the, the, the fever, all of that. Remember we said to top it all off, he has bad breath. Bad breath. Well, in 1917, Job 1917, the way we know he has bad breath is he says, my breath is offensive to my wife. Hmm. Now, how close do you have to be to someone to smell their breath? Yeah, really close. Couple, I, I mean, can you smell smell mine over here? I've not had that coffee I know all of. morning. <laughs> not that I know of. So we're sitting what about four feet away? You got to yeah. be closer than that. I would say, oh, yeah. if the breath reeked, you'd still have to be a couple of feet away to yeah. be able to get a whiff of it. That tells us. Now, keep in mind, nineteen is during one of his speeches. Chapter nineteen is during one of his speeches. Responding so, to his friends. That's right. Okay. So, however many months have gone by since this happened. This is the time frame when Job is making this statement. It's months after the calamities happened. And he says, my breath is, it's present tense, is offensive to my Hmm. wife. It's interesting to me how many bloggers or commentators I've read that say, well, obviously, after she told him off, told him to curse God and die, she obviously left and she wasn't there anymore. Clearly, she didn't. Well, now you say that, but that is what you walk away with. It's like there's this moment she comes up, says that, and then is gone. And you might think that. But, but you're just assuming it. The text Correct. doesn't say that, right? Correct. And not only that, but again, we're going to go back and really break down and reverse engineer what those statements meant and why she said them. So 1917 proves that she is still there and she is close enough. I think almost without a doubt she is attending her husband still mm. because she is close enough to get a whiff of that awful breath and the awful physical, <laughs> physical condition that he's in and he's just a train wreck. Wow. So that's number six. Number, I'm sorry, that's That's number number seven. seven. That's right. Number six was his response. You're speaking as a foolish woman. Number eight is really interesting. And all of these things, as I said before, these are all like tons of bricks Mm -hmm. on me that God's dropped on me. So number eight is a really, really significant one. I found one article sort of out there in the cloud, Heath, or online where someone talked about the bad breath. I cannot for the life of me figure out why this point number eight has not been discovered and heralded. Hmm. And so when I teach the class, I I think this is just super significant. Chapter 31 is Job's last chapter of his last speech. And in it, he gives vouchers to uh, guarantee his word. And the vouchers are in the form of, if I've done A, then you can do B. So there are several of these, okay. and I'm going to just I'm just going to read a couple of them. So, for example, he says, "If 
my heart. Let, let, me, let me put that one off for a moment. He says in 31, 7 and 8, If my footsteps have strayed from the way, if my heart has gone after my eyes, or if anything has defiled my hands, then let me sow and let another eat and let my crops be uprooted. So now we don't know if he had any crops. Maybe he did have crops, and maybe they weren't affected by the calamities, because in chapter 1, the messengers only talk about livestock and then his 10 children. Right. But he's either saying, I still have crops, and I'm putting them up to guarantee my word, or if I had any crops, I would put them up to guarantee my word. Okay. So basically, it's if I've done this, then you can do that. If I've done this, then you can do that. So in 31, 21, and 22, he says, If I've raised my hand to vote against the orphan when I saw my support in the court, then let my arm fall from the shoulder. Let my arm be broken off at the socket. Now, that's grotesque. Right. So, I mean, how important is your arm? It's really important. Yeah. And like if you're right or left-handed and you lose even the other arm, it's that's a big deal. I mean, yeah. losing a whole arm, it doesn't matter which one it is. That's going to change your life forever. Right. So Joe basically volunteers to have somebody chop his arm off if he's guilty of this thing that he's talking about. So if A, then B. Okay. Now, so my question is, what if you're going to if you're going to make a statement like that and you're going to offer a bond? For yourself, right. what sort of thing does the bond need to be? It needs to be something well, of great value. Value, right? Great value. So I've got a pen in my shirt pocket. Let's suppose Heath, you said to me, Scott, I have I have this hunch you're cheating on your wife. Hmm. Let's say I said to you, Heath, that's ridiculous. I'm not cheating on my wife. If you can prove that, I will give you this pen. Now, is that is this pen worth much? Got to be honest, it doesn't look like it. I mean, it's a nice pen, but maybe it might be $2 (laughs) at the most, right? So if I said that to you, my statement is essentially worthless. Yeah. Mm. So a bond, if I'm going to offer you something to secure my word, it has to be something, again, of great value, of tremendous significance, great value. And he's offered up crops. That's right. Even if it's theoretically, but it's great value. Great value. And then he offered up his arm. His arm. That's right. Great so value. things of great value. Yeah. And I'm not talking about Walmart great value. As I hear those <laughs> words, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, how often do I see a box that says great, great value? value. No. I'm talking about things of extremely high worth, worth. Yeah. right? That's right. And so here's, here's the key, 31, 9, and 10. If my heart has been enticed by a woman and I have lain in wait at my neighbor's door. So what he's saying is if he's waited to see a woman so that something untoward yeah. Imprudent could happen between them. Uh, um, like lusting after his neighbors. Lusting after or maybe committing adultery yeah, or just yeah. yearning for her, something like that. He says in 31.9, if I've done that, 31.10, then let my wife turn the millstone for another man and may other men have sexual relations with her. Whoa. So now we read this and it's it's just like, well, you know, okay – Big deal. We, we're, we're in a series of these sort of vouchers, these oaths. But when I read this that first time through as I was preparing these notes, that was a ton of bricks because what kind of thing do you offer up to secure your word? Something of great value. value. Right. Worth. That's right. Yeah. Great, great worth. Let's go with that. Yes. Great worth. His wife is of great worth. Hmm. He's not volunteering her expecting she's going to be abused. He's not throwing her away. 
he's offering her to secure his word, to secure his reputation, to guarantee his statement. That tells us, and this is the very end of the last speech that he gives, that tells us that she is of great worth to him still in that moment. She is definitely (laughs) not gone, and she is definitely not just chewed him out and they're not getting along. Yeah. So that one fascinates me. And I have started a book on Job. I haven't, I started it several years ago. Yeah. And I need to, I want to get back into it because I don't understand why no one else has seen this diamond right there in plain sight in the book. It's like hidden in plain sight right mm. there. So she is of great worth to him. So let me just run back to my notes here and we'll get to the next point, which is point number nine. So at the end of the book, in chapter 42, as Job is restored, he gets twice the animals back that he had before. And then it says he also had seven more sons and three more daughters. So at the end of the book, they're still physically, mentally, spiritually, they're still close. Yep. And this woman should get a gold star for 20 times, 20. right? 20 <laughs> children. And it also fascinates me, Heath, that People will say, well, obviously that was a different wife because the first wife left him. Obviously not. Because if you think about it, if she's close enough to smell his breath in chapter 19, if he proclaims implicitly but very clearly implicitly that she's of great worth to him in chapter 31, first of all, in this plight that he has, is any other woman going to be interested in him in that state? Not a chance. Not a chance. And secondly – After he's been through all this and he's restored and she did stick by him and she's of great value to him, is he going to chase anyone else? Mm. Clearly not. No. Right? So clearly she's born these 20 children to him. At least I'm firmly, I'm certain of that. Yeah. So again, when I get to heaven, I want to find out if I really got all this right. (laughs) Point number 10 is simply that when Job lost everything else, did... God allow Satan to take his wife? And no. the answer is no. She's clearly still there because they have this little interaction that we are so well aware of. And then on top of that, she's smelling his breath and she's of great worth to him yeah. at the end. So clearly she's still on the scene. And the text is not clear on this. So it's very clear that she's still there. It's not clear on what I'm about to say. Okay, I believe God caused her to have to remain because she was the one person who really understood her husband. And we're going to get to that when we go back and reverse engineer points four and five. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And then point number 11, Job over and over again tells his friends that they're just terrible friends. Beginning with chapter six, when he makes, after the friends make their first speech, every speech Job gives after that, in essence, he tells his friends one way or another, they're, they're just really terrible friends. So he has no hesitation in saying that. If yeah. he believes that, he has no hesitation okay. in saying it. Yeah. Does he ever say anything negative about his wife in the book? He no, does not. He does not. He does say, you know, you're speaking as one of the foolish women. And again, that that comment is often interpreted as he told her that she was foolish. I'm so grateful to the woman in that mm. class that I taught in 2013 for pointing out that in fact what he says is that's not characteristic of her. Yep. And that's as close as he gets is saying kind of you're behaving in a way that's not characteristic for you right now. But clearly he says nothing 
bad, nothing negative about his wife, even though he's happy to come up with all kinds of insults for his friends, which they've, which they've pretty well earned. <laughs> and so point number 12 is what does God say about Mrs. Job? Because she told her husband to curse God and die. I mean, the statement just sounds pretty self-incriminating, like you don't really need to know anything else and you can conclude she's the worst <laughs> wife, although as you're learning, that's not what I believe. So God dresses Job down at the end of the book yeah. by saying, do you know any of this stuff? You know, who are you to tell me all these things kind of thing? He dresses Job down, and then after that, he puts Job's three friends in their place where he tells Eliphaz, I'm not happy with you and your friends because you've not spoken about me what is right as mm -hmm. my servant Job has. And he requires that they sacrifice and Job will pray, and he'll accept Job's prayer on their behalf. So he dresses both of them down. What does God say about Job's wife? Nothing. Nothing. Now, that's not conclusive. Yeah. I mean, we can't draw any firm conclusion from that. But I think the absence of dressing her down, in per particularly after the gravity of what she said, she told Job to turn from God, mm. basically. Are you still maintaining your integrity? Turn from God, curse God, and die. Particularly in view of that, the fact that God doesn't say anything to her or about her, I think is striking in its absence. Mm -hmm. And again, this is another place where what is not said, I think, is, or in this case, could be important. Yeah. Not conclusive, but it's an interesting data point. It is. Huh. That finishes those points. And that also probably finishes our time this week. So, Can you stick around for one more week to absolutely. pull this all together and with points four and five? Sounds great. All right. Let's do it. All right. All right. Thanks, Scott. Thanks for joining Fellowship Around the Table. If you would like to learn more, go to fbctulsa.org.